Right, like they're pulling out the long intestine, being like, what is all this? (laughs) (laughs) How did this fit in there? (laughs) It just keeps going. (laughs) Welcome to the Devil's Margarita podcast, your bi-weekly spook session filled with murder, mystery and the macabre. I'm Ali. And I'm Amanda. So why don't you grab a drink and let's do this. You are going to need a stiff drink for this story. Oh, really? Yeah, so... I'm probably not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. It's it's a bit of a doozy. Today I'm going to be talking about H.H. H. Holmes, the murder castle surrounding him. He was also kind of known as the Beast of Chicago. It's a bit okay. of a long one. Stiff drinks, definitely recommended. <laughs> <laughs> so this one's going to be a rough one is what you're saying. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here. Right, okay. Well, I actually don't know anything about this. Right. So this is going to be a learning session for me. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is like I've heard about him in so many different areas. I've, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos about him at this point, and I know that there's tons of podcast episodes about him, and like he's influenced popular culture as well. Okay. But I didn't really know the full depth of everything until I started researching it for this episode. It's really weird because I, you know, love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts, never heard an episode about him. I, I, I literally know nothing. Oh, I'm excited to <laughs> to tell you about this guy. So yeah, you're educating me today. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's get started. So he was born Herman Webster Mudgett uh, on May 16th of 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. He was born to a wealthy family and enjoyed a privileged childhood. His father, Levi, was a farmer and apparently a really violent alcoholic who beat his children and locked them in the attic when they misbehave. Oh, don't love that. Yeah. at all. Kind of a dick move. I mean, that's putting it lightly. (laughs) Right. His mother, Theodate. Hang on, wait, repeat that name for me. Theodate. That is an amazing name. I love it. When I first looked at it, I was like, wait, is that a girl's name? But her middle name was Paige, so Theodate Paige Mudgett. Yeah, we need to bring that name back. I love it. I know. It's a bit sweet, isn't it? Like, it's better than calling your baby Renesme. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so Herman was the third of five. He had two older siblings and two younger siblings. So he was smack jam right in the middle. Oh, so he had middle child syndrome for sure. Exactly. And Herman was a bit of a mama's boy. He read a lot. He read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe and Jules Verne. Apparently he also liked to invent things. Herman showed signs of high intelligence from an early age. He was apparently also interested in medicine. And it was so much so that he allegedly would trap animals and perform surgery on them. There are some accounts that suggested that he killed a childhood playmate, but these are speculations that were made after to try and profile him into that typical serial killer upbringing. However, there's no concrete evidence of these claims. You don't even need to throw in, like, you know, the childhood murder. Like, killing animals is enough. Right. It's still a little (laughs) bit, like... mm. Yeah. Like, just saying that a child was killing or torturing animals is enough to say, ooh, (laughs) serial killer there. Yeah, it kind of raises a few red flags. Just, Just a couple. During his early school years, although he had a couple of friends, Herman was bullied quite extensively. The bullies knew that Herman was kind of terrified of the doctor and he had this overwhelming fear of the local doctor, which, you know, these bullies knew about. So one day on the way to school, they had to walk past the local doctor's office and the bullies dragged him in struggling and shrieking and they ended up locking him into the office which brought him face to face with a human skeleton 
As Herman stands there, locked in the doctor's office, frozen in fear, staring at the skeleton, but over time it started to build this really strong sense of curiosity and desire to learn about medicine. So what could have been something to potentially traumatize him and was probably intended as a prank from, you know, these childhood bullies, it actually cures him of his fear and starts him on the path to becoming a doctor himself. That's kind of interesting that he was so afraid, but then he became a doctor. Like, that that seems weird to me. Right. It was like this defining point. Like, he was kind of at a crossroads at this point. Like, be completely traumatized by Mm. being in this doctor's office and seeing this skeleton or kind of get over it. But he kind of then takes it a step further and wants to then pursue this as a career. Maybe it was a bit of... You know, like when you're the patient, you're you're not as like you're not in as much control. Mm. Whereas if you're the doctor, you're in more control of the situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that probably played a big part of it, having that control. Mm. Okay. Herman grows into this dapper young gentleman who's very well dressed and he's highly intelligent, but he's also incredibly charming. So he graduates high school at the age of sixteen and takes up teaching jobs in the local area and. It's during this time that Herman meets a beautiful young woman from a prominent family named Clara Lovering, and after a year of courtship on July 4th, 1878, they elope. Clara then gives birth to their son, Robert, and he was born on February 3rd, 1880. So Herman grows tired of teaching and moves a short while away to work at a grocery store. While he's working at the grocery store, Clara and their son go to live with her parents. So he's kind of working at the grocery store. Herman's like thinking things over and he's like, well, I think I want to become a doctor instead of just a teacher or grocery store clerk. Um, and Clara agrees to support him through medical school. He attends the University of Vermont's medicine program and Clara's super supportive throughout this whole year. But after a year, Herman decides to transfer to the University of Michigan. Now, that wouldn't raise eyebrows at the time, but I do want to mention that the University of Michigan at the time was a medical school that emphasized dissection. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Herman attends the University of Michigan Medical School in 1882, and while enrolled at the school, he worked in the anatomy lab under Professor Herdman, who was a chief anatomy instructor. So he's getting really, really good education from this. Okay. But he completed an apprenticeship or internship under a, now I might say this wrong, a Dr. Naum? Naum White? I don't know. I believe you, either way. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this doctor is a noted advocate of human dissection. So does this mean, I mean, again, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around anything in the 1800s. Were they still performing experiments on humans at this stage? I would believe so. Ugh. Okay. Because the University of Michigan was like heavily into and really emphasized human dissection, I think at this point they were just like, let's cut everything up and let's see what's inside. I mean, yeah, I don't know how, like, how much would they have understood how the human body worked at that stage? Mm. I mean, considering that we can barely figure it out now. Right. I mean, and some of it's still a mystery. Yeah. I wonder how much they, I wonder how much they knew at that stage. Right, like they're pulling out the long intestine, being like, what is all this? (laughs) (laughs) How did this fit in there? (laughs) It just keeps going. (laughs) I I weirdly kind of love that mental picture. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I digress. Uh, So the summer of junior year, Herman becomes a traveling book salesman for a book publisher. But instead of handing the proceeds over to his boss, he ends up keeping it. So... (sighs) 
As charming as Herman is, he's also kind of a dodgy person. Yeah, but that's how he gets away with it, by being so charming. Exactly. On one hand, you've got this really, really charming and, you know, like he's well-dressed. He comes from a a wealthy family and he's well-spoken and he's highly intelligent. But you like, you scratch the surface a little bit and he's just, just downright dodgy. (laughs) Lovely. Just what we want. Right. Love to hear it. <laughs> Absolutely. So not only would he kind of steal the proceeds from those books and things like that, he would also steal cadavers. And what he would do is he would mutilate their bodies and try to collect oh. insurance money by saying that that person had died in an accident. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, how does he even get away with that? I don't even know how like insurance and claiming insurance today works but i'm assuming (laughs) that back then it was probably slightly easier because as this story goes on it's a very repetitive theme of him Mm, claiming insurance so he's in this for the dollars yeah he likes the money he likes the money okay yeah it's weird to even think that they had life insurance back then (laughs) yeah um, I would have thought that that was a more modern day idea, but clearly it wasn't. Mm, apparently, uh, it was a bit of a thing back then. Yeah, I'm just never getting it because I feel like everyone who gets murdered has it. Right? The amount of people <laughs> or the amount of like murder mystery things that I've watched on TV or whatever. It's that always have been... insurance. Yeah, right? Stop always. getting insurance. <laughs> That's the common denominator, so I'm just not getting it. <laughs> exactly. So Herman graduates in June of 1884 from the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery, but it's kind of claimed that at this point, Holmes is treating Clara quite poorly. Now, I don't know if this is 100% (sighs) true, but it has been claimed that he was quite violent towards her. After he graduates, he kind of sets out to find a place to practice. And while he's traveling, he's still corresponding with Clara. So I don't know how true that first statement was that he was quite violent and stuff towards her because, like, he still is talking to her. Well, I guess it's probably worth mentioning that I would I would think that relationships had a very different dynamic in that time considering how women were treated in society. Exactly, yeah. It was a very, very different time. Very hard to tell what she was actually going through. Yeah, plus they had a son together and they were technically married. And Yeah, and I mean, how how did single women fare in that time? Like, she wouldn't have had any money. Yeah, exactly. So even if, I, I would think that even if, the, like, there was abuse actually happening, she probably would have stayed anyway. But it's also hard to say because maybe things weren't mentioned as much because it was seen as more, dare I say, normal at the time. Obviously not normal now, but back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After Herman graduates, he sets out to find a place to practice. And while he's traveling, he's still corresponding with Clara. Um, He visits her and their son a few times, but he's doing very, very little in way of supporting his family. So I'm going to fast forward momentarily just to close this chapter of Herman's life, but he did visit her in 1888 um, and he told her that he had a business going in Chicago, but he didn't want her or his son to join him in Chicago, which I don't know, a little bit awkward, but I mean, I don't think I'd appreciate that as the wife. Right. Here I am with your son raising him and you're just like, I don't want you to come with me to Chicago. So you stay here and I'll go over there. Yeah, that's bullshit. Okay. Thanks. I guess. (laughs) So Clara takes him to the train station and she doesn't hear from him again for apparently six years. Wow. Okay. So like, had they broken up or was it just a long distance marriage? Well, the most that I could find on it was that she doesn't hear from him again for six years. I didn't look into this as much, but 
Apparently later on down the track, he writes to her brother and he's just like, hey, I was in this horrible accident and I hit my head and I lost all my memory and I've been spending the last how many years trying to rebuild my life, but all my memories are starting to come back. Yeah, because I was just about to say, how did he know to write to her brother if he lost his memory? What? Yeah. That's weird. But that was like like way further down the track uh, where he's kind of a bit on the run from authorities. So. Oh, so this is probably just like creating an excuse. Exactly. Yeah. So after he kind of makes contact with her then, apparently what happened was he went to visit her and they were going to start their life together. And he kind of spun this massive story about being hit over the head and losing his memory and having to rebuild himself. Yeah, sure. I already don't believe this guy. (laughs) It just so happened that that was prime time for when he was kind of being investigated and everything was catching up to him. And he was actually arrested while they were having dinner together. One of the investigators had asked her, well, what was your marriage like? And so she told him exactly as she had known it, that he just left for so many years. And the investigator then told her what he'd been up to. And she bawled her eyes out and was just like, I have no idea who my husband is. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I cannot imagine if you had no idea about that sort of thing going on and they're being told exactly (laughs) like you're on this high that your husband's finally come back and he's here yeah and i think at that point their son was about 14 or something like that oh that's even worse imagine trying to explain that to your son right and i don't think she had remarried until after that whole ordeal as well so she could have been sitting there waiting for him or something like that (sighs) i was just about to say i hope she wasn't waiting for him but it sounds like she might have been yeah that was one of the parts of this story that really broke my heart when i read that i was just like oh No. Hmm. Yeah, that sucks. I feel for her. Remember when I said that Herman was looking for a place to practice earlier? Yeah. He bounced around quite a bit after university. So he moved to New York. However, a rumor quickly spread that Herman had been seen with a young boy. Not what you're thinking. I really fucking hope not. (laughs) (laughs) And that young boy had mysteriously vanished. Herman claimed, though, the boy moved back to his home in Massachusetts, but no investigation took place and Herman just packed up and left. So there's nothing to say that that did or didn't happen. Exactly. Right, okay. So after that, he traveled to Philadelphia and he worked as a keeper in a state hospital, but quit only after a few days. And then after that, he worked at a drugstore. But while he was working there, another boy died after taking medicine that was purchased at the store that Herman was working at. Herman, of course, denied any involvement, but immediately left the city. <laughs> well, that seems sus as fuck. <laughs> These things seem to happen and Herman's just like, all right, bye. Yeah, I'm out. See you later. Catches. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So that doesn't really paint a positive picture for what happened there, whether you can prove it or not. Exactly. It's just these bad things are happening around Herman and... It's funny that, isn't it? I wonder what the common denominator is. It's almost like he's <laughs> bringing it on. Weird. It's so strange. <laughs> <laughs> In August of 1886, Herman moves to Chicago. This is when he's changing his name, and he changes his name to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, a.k.a. H.H. Holmes. He reportedly chose the name Holmes as a a homage to Sherlock Holmes. I was just about to ask that. (laughs) Yeah, but he apparently changed his name to avoid the possibility of being exposed by victims of his past crimes and scams and all of his shenanigans. It really amazes me how easy it was to change your name in the past. Could you imagine doing that now? Exactly. It was literally like, I'm going to go to a new town. My new name is this. Yeah. And I don't have to show any proof of that. That is just my name. Hello. (laughs) 
It's yeah, bizarre. It's, it's really strange to think about that you just like suddenly rename yourself and then you're an entirely different person and no one knows. No one's the wiser. Yeah, it's crazy. So soon after the move, Holmes takes a job in a drugstore. It's located in the Englewood neighborhood of Chicago. It's owned and operated by Mrs. Halton and her husband, but he'd been diagnosed with cancer and they lived in the apartment above the drugstore. Holmes proved himself to be a really hardworking employee and has a great relationship with Mr. and Mrs. Halton. Holmes eventually offers to purchase the drugstore and the land, and the Haltons agree. There are reports that once Holmes purchased the drugstore and the land, that both Mr. and Mrs. Halton conveniently disappeared or mysteriously moved away. Don't like this, don't like where it's going. (laughs) But it has been confirmed that both Haltons actually kept up a really decent relationship with Holmes. Okay, so they're fine. Okay, good. Yeah, they went on and lived their life and were none the wiser. So, you know, just basically retired and that's why no one heard from them. In 1886, Herman marries Myrta Belknap, but he never actually divorced Clara. I was just about to say, what? When did this, how? (laughs) He filed for divorce from Clara a few weeks after he had married Myrta. Now, here's the kicker. (laughs) Apparently, the reason for filing for divorce was alleged infidelity, but it was on her part. Yeah, okay. So... (laughs) The claims couldn't be proved and the divorce proceedings ne- like just halted. So there is some surviving evidence, however, that suggests that Clara may have never even been aware or informed of the divorce suit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And also, isn't he doing this all in the wrong order? Like, you have to divorce someone first before you can re- remarry. Like, that's the way it works. You can't, like, marry someone else and then go, oh, actually, probably should divorce that other one. What I really <laughs> love about this story was that he had married Murta, and then he was like, hold on, I need to divorce Clara, <laughs> but let's just say that she was. She was the one that was cheating. But, like, just because I married someone else, that doesn't mean that I was, you know, unfaithful. Exactly. <laughs> My name's Herman. I'm totally innocent. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> So after Holmes purchases the drugstore from Mrs. Holton, Holmes and Murder move into the now vacant apartment above the store and Murder is helping him run the drugstore, but she's a really jealous woman and she's getting upset and jealous whenever any young woman would come into the store and just flirt with her husband. Does she know how stores work? Because like women come into them. <laughs> well, how dare they? Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you can't like put a sign on the door saying, look, no women. I don't want my husband talking to you. You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> Stop it. Don't do that. Don't come in here. Women are bad. <laughs> Could you imagine? Sorry, I can't let you in because, well, my wife just doesn't like it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hello, sir. Please leave your wife at the door. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed in, but she has to wait. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> So two years later, in the summer of 1888, Murdoch falls pregnant and she moves back in with her parents. And Holmes kind of visits her and their daughter, whose name's Lucy Theodate. And he kind of visits them sparingly, but he really enjoys not having them close by because, you know, he kind of, he's a busy man and he has other things to attend to. This seems to be a pattern. It's like, okay, yes, I'll have a child, but I don't want it anywhere near me. Right, just wipe my hands clean. Yeah, like, you know, you've had it, you take care of it. Not my responsibility exactly it's yours (laughs) good luck with that i'll come see you occasionally just to make sure it's all going okay but you know have at it i'll be over here right with all of my other bitches (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) look he doesn't sound like the best husband ever no he doesn't (laughs) that's probably like understatement but still 
So in 1887, Holmes purchased an empty lot across the street from the drugstore that he bought from Mrs. Halton. And he decided to build a two-story building of his own design. And it's referred to as the castle since it spans over a huge block. And I think it measured to around 162 feet long and 50 feet wide. So it's massive. Yeah. It was to include a drugstore on the first floor, along with other various shops, including a barber, jewelry store, candy shop, restaurant, all that jazz. And then a hotel on the second floor. Mm, okay. Holmes later decides to add a third floor and he told investors, suppliers and whoever else was involved that it was an addition to the current hotel on the second floor, all intended for the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition. It's a mouthful. Yeah, that, that took me a second to register all that. <laughs> It should be mentioned that the hotel never really was a functioning hotel at all. It was hardly set up as a hotel, but it was for the most part a maze of confusing rooms and hallways where he would lure people in under the guise of a hotel or apartments, murder them, and then make some money off of their bodies. Okay, all right. I mean, that's that's certainly a business. Um, probably not a legal one. But it's it's a business. Yeah. Because like when you were telling me about all the stuff that was going to be in there, and I'm like, oh well, like is that like one of the first shopping centers or something? Right. Yeah. Or like com or entertainment complexes. Like that sounds pretty. Oh, I would think advanced for the time. But he was really just setting up so he could murder people. Okay. Yeah. It was all just kind of a ruse. What an asshole. Right? Not a not a great guy. So the basement was reportedly larger than the building itself and it extended underneath the sidewalks. Yeah, I don't like that. It was set up with a kiln. He says it's used for blowing glass, which, you know, is a fine story, but the kiln itself was not the right size for blowing glass. However, perfect size for burning bodies. Oh, okay. So I guess it's one of those things that you just say assuming that people won't actually know the difference exactly like oh, yeah. if i looked at a kiln i wouldn't know yeah same i'd be like oh fire pretty and that's about all of the thoughts i would have exactly so multiple builders were used for the construction of the murder castle so only holmes really knew the design of the building himself what he basically would do was hire a builder have them construct a single or a couple of rooms and then fire them, saying that they either voided the contract or they had done something wrong. Then he'd have another builder come in and complete another room or a couple of rooms and he'd just rinse and repeat that cycle until the murder castle was finally completed in 1891. Okay, but if you... I mean, it's taken so long to complete, obviously because it's a massive building. Wouldn't people have realized, oh, we're only going to get a, a few weeks work out of this and then he's going to fire us because that's what he's done to everyone else? How do like people not start talking about that? I do wonder if he had gotten builders from out of town and like mm. brought them in so that they were kind of none the wiser at that point. Yes, they didn't kind of know what was coming. Yeah, so I'm going to show you a picture of the outside of the murder castle. You can kind of see that it's really unsuspecting. Oh, it's so big. Right? So it's it's huge. Yeah, that's not what I was picturing in my mind at all. Right, so on the bottom you can kind of see that there's all these different shops and I think that was a really, really smart design choice from Holmes because you look at it and you think, okay, well, it's all these shops on the bottom and no one really needs to go above that mm. unless they're apparently staying at the hotel. So it kind of throws the scent off a little bit. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, it's just, it's not what I pictured. I'm I'm still struggling on that point. Sorry, um, <laughs> it's just yeah, really unsuspecting. You would like it's not not a menacing looking building at all. 
I think it's like because they had they had called it the castle for so long while it was being built and in the early days of its like it just being constructed it was always referred to as castle but then once everything kind of came out it's just been known as the murder castle but when you kind of think of murder castle you think of like this really horrible deep dungeony gross looking thing yeah I, I think of something that Dracula would have lived in Exactly. Do you, know, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, I, I expect, like, this gothic-looking castle that's, like, really dark and, and all that kind of stuff. But this is just, like, a building. Like, it's... Yeah, it's... It's a three-story building. Like, it's not, not really... There's no really, like, defining features, even. Exactly. It's literally hidden in plain sight. In a way that's, like, very smart. Right. Of him to do it that way. Yeah. So once the building had completed construction, he started advertising rooms for rent and he would specifically target out-of-town visitors and women. Men, for the most part, were turned away from the hotel. Can you do that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm assuming there were no, like, discrimination laws back then, but still, can you do that? Right. It's kind of like the tables have flipped and rather than murder being like, no women, he's like, (laughs) no men. (laughs) Okay. So Holmes placed classified ads in small town newspapers offering young women jobs and he'd offer these women a position, but he would twist it so that they needed to withdraw all of their money from their bank in order to get started. And he also required his workers to take out life insurance policies and name him as the beneficiary. Wouldn't that be raising alarm bells? Why would you take out a life insurance policy and name your boss? Yeah. Like, no. Yeah, it's a bit weird. I mean... (sighs) I mean, maybe it's just my paranoid mind, but if someone said that to me, I'd be like, yeah, you're going to kill me. Yeah, it doesn't really, (laughs) I don't know. I can't really justify how that would have been okay, but then at the same time, I'm probably not in the 1800 mindset. True. I mean, this is coming from my brain after listening to a billion true crime podcasts where I'm like, it's always the life insurance. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Right. So, you know, that's just, yeah, probably just my paranoid mind. And maybe like it was very, like life insurance might have been different the way it was back then. Maybe that was more normal. I don't Mm. know. Yeah, maybe. Aside from those women that would work at the hotel, uh, Holmes would also seduce some of the women that had came to stay at the hotel. So he would seduce them with promises to marry them and he'd take out large life insurance policies on these women. And- Does he tell them that he's married to two women technically still? Or I don't Probably see- doesn't mention that. Right, I don't really feel like that would be <laughs> a great opener <laughs> to a first date. Yeah, probably not. You know, like, oh, do you want to go out for dinner? Look, but you should probably know I am married to two other women, but I will marry you as well at some point. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Once the women had settled into the hotel, they would just disappear. Of course they did. Absolutely. Holmes's earliest murder victim was Julia Smythe. Uh, she was a married woman who moved into the hotel and was working at the pharmacy on the first floor. Holmes and Julia were having a bit of an affair. Oh, just a, a little bit. Just a touch. Just a small one. And... <laughs> Once Julia's husband found out, he quit his job, left Julia and their daughter Pearl, and just booked it. Yeah, can't imagine why. Julia and Holmes, after the husband found out, just continue having their affair, and shortly after, she fell pregnant. Oh my god, why is he fathering all these children? (laughs) Right, he is just fertile as all fuck. I mean, I guess birth control probably wasn't um, that great then. It probably really was just a risk, you know, it might happen. So he convinced Julia that he would marry her, but there was a condition, um, and that condition was that she would get an abortion. But the condition doesn't stop there. That's only one part of the condition. Oh, I- I'm scared. 
The second part of the condition was that because he was a doctor, he would perform the abortion. Oh my god. <sighs> yeah. Why <laughs> Why would you agree to this? Right, I just think that he would be like this really, really charming, well-spoken man that's like this doctor and he's this entrepreneur and yeah. he's seducing these women and he's like, you know what, I'm a doctor, but like maybe spinning it that at the moment they just can't have kids at this point in time, so don't worry, but I'm a doctor, I'll take care of you. Yeah, and- I, can, I can totally see that. Even after I said, why would you agree to that? I'm like, no, of course they would have. You know, he's a doctor. Why wouldn't you trust him? Right. And I mean, for all Julia knew, as soon as this was done, he was going to marry her and they'd be able to start a life together. Yeah. But. I feel bad for her. Well, you should, because instead of performing the abortion, he kills Julia. And not only did he kill Julia, but he killed her 12-year-old daughter, Pearl, and he killed them with chloroform. (sighs) I've just realized why this sounds familiar to me. Is part of um, American Horror Story, like the first season? in the house there was once a doctor that lived there that was performing abortions for women but he was actually killing them was that based off him i believe so because yeah i was just like this is sounding super familiar to me why is it sounding familiar yeah i i think (sighs) there's definitely some influence um in a couple of the seasons yeah okay because yeah as soon as you said chloroform i'm like hang on wait (laughs) so when people asked about julia and pearl because you know they just kind of went missing Holmes would just tell them that, you know, they moved back to Iowa. And I guess at the time, because you couldn't communicate easily anyway over long distances, there was no way to follow that up. Exactly. It's not like anyone could just DM her and be like, hey, by the way, did you move back to a... <laughs> exactly. Can't just like slide into a DMs on Instagram and say, hey, have you moved? Why didn't you tell anyone? Couldn't do that. You might send a letter and who knows if you'll get a response. And I mean, if you didn't have her address in Iowa, exactly. where would you send it? <sighs> So in May of 1892, a young woman, Emmeline Segrand, had begun working in the building, but she had disappeared by December of the same year. You need to move quick on that one. Yeah. Holmes jumps on that and he curbs curiosity by faking wedding announcements for Emmeline and a fictional man and sends them to her family. So they don't really ask questions. They're just like, okay, well, she's just eloped with some random guy. It just, it, it strikes me about how easy it was to get away with just forging stuff. Um, at that time because imagine trying to do that now exactly like that would not fly like it just wouldn't work yeah but back then you could just be like yep i'm just gonna make up this thing and they're totally gonna believe it because how else are they gonna prove that it's not true or why would they even think that it's not true crazy yeah another woman edna van tassel who worked within the building also vanished and is believed to be one of the victims of Holmes. So come 1893, an actress named Minnie Williams moves to Chicago, and it's not confirmed whether Holmes and Minnie had met years earlier or if they had met through an employment agency when she got to Chicago, but he offers her a job at the hotel as his personal stenographer. What is that? A stenographer, so basically like modern day stenographers would take like audio clips and kind of type out the transcript. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So because he's a doctor, I'm assuming that he did stuff like that i don't know why else you would need a stenographer yeah i mean i would assume otherwise what was she doing right awkward (laughs) unless it was just like a cover for something else that was going on (laughs) as we know one of holmes's conditions of employment was to sign over all of their shit to him Mm. he basically persuades her to transfer the deed to her property in texas to a man named alexander bond who the fuck is that Well, that actually turns out to be an alias of Holmes. Okay. 
So Minnie signs over the deed, and in the next couple of months, Minnie and Holmes are presenting themselves as husband and wife. In July of the same year, Minnie's sister Annie, I think is so adorable, Minnie and Annie, <laughs> she comes to visit she comes to visit the so-called happy couple, and Annie wrote to her aunt that she planned to accompany quote brother Harry. Also, side note, Holmes had a lot of aliases, so the HH could have been Harry, Henry, whatever he decided during the time. So that's kind of why he went with HH because it was so easy for him to just change it whenever he felt like it. Exactly. <laughs> Annie wrote to her aunt that she was going to accompany them to Europe and neither Annie or Minnie were ever seen alive again after July 5th of 1983. So how many wives is he up to now? Confirmed, I think he's up to two. Myrta and Clara, but he's promised Julia. He's promised whoever else and, you know, he's kind of presenting with Minnie. So he's a busy man. <sighs> he gets around. He really does get around. Like He's very busy, which is why murder had to kind of stay away. But, but I mean, this is the thing, like, I, it's hard enough having one. Can you imagine having to juggle this many? I mean, I guess, mm, although he is only handling one at a time. Exactly. He's kind of like, hey, me and you, let's go. And then he's yeah. like, well, you're preggers. And then flicks him off. <laughs> I mean, that's such a flippant way to put it, but it's pretty much exactly <laughs> what he's doing. Like. Right? In 1893, Chicago had a world fair, and it was known as the Columbian Exposition. It celebrated the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival to America, and it was a huge event which brought approximately 27 million visitors to Chicago. Was there even that many people then? Right. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of fucking people. Was that like everyone in America? <laughs> um, so the fair was huge and brought so many visitors, but it also brought an influx of jobs. And what do people need when they move for a job? Uh, somewhere to stay, I'm assuming. Exactly. And conveniently, Holmes's hotel slash murder castle was located pretty close to Jackson Park, which was the site of the World Fair. I did look it up and it's a 15 minute drive, so it was pretty close. How many women have gone missing? Because of their association with him at this point. So it's like three or four? Yeah, roughly, that we know about anyway. And no one's connecting the dots? Everyone's just like, no, it's fine. It's fine, they just move, don't worry about it, it's all good. People move, they do that. You know, it's fine. Okay, then don't they at least notice that everyone who is associated with him suddenly moves very far away? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they just assume that he's like, you know, not the greatest (laughs) husband. Or not the greatest boss. And they're just like, well... I, I guess. I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> Look, it's, it's not wrong either. But I, I guess the other thing is even... Like, I say that because I I know what what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee even if, like, that was happening in my life, I'd be like, yeah, they've moved. Mm. And wouldn't think twice about it because that's a normal thing. Whereas murdering lots of people, not so normal. Right, people just moving away and going off and doing their own thing, living their life completely normal. Thumbs up. Yeah, exactly. People getting seduced and murdered and all of that stuff, mm. not normal, yeah, big not so thumbs much. down. Yeah, no, <laughs> not into it. No, not really, but here we are. 1893 isn't the best of years for homes. Investors, suppliers, and insurance companies started putting the heat on homes for suspected fraud and arson. Now, I did try to connect the dots here because apparently the third floor of the murder castle caught on fire and Holmes put in an insurance claim about it. But I don't know when exactly that happened. I don't know what happened, but I do know that he put in an insurance claim. It didn't really add up. So then later on down the track, that's why they're starting to put the heat on. Mm, Okay. 
And he did end up rebuilding, but it was never finished, if that makes sense. I'm such an idiot because I was just sitting here thinking, it's weird how like all of these older buildings just like burnt down all the time. But I'm like, they probably were made of wood. Yeah, there's a lot of wood and asbestos <laughs> yeah. in this. It's not like they had steel frames or anything. It was just wood. And it was just like, yeah, we can burn this down. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all these buildings from the 1800s, let's keep burning down. Why? Yeah, that's why. You're an idiot. Why is this happening? <laughs> I'm such an idiot that it took that long. I, th- I think it's just, I, I do think it's amazing though that it's like the 1800s and they still had insurance for fire. Yeah. I mean, if your house burns down now, you'd have to have a real argument with the insurance company to get them to pay up. Exactly. Times have not changed that much. They have, but they haven't. Yeah, exactly. Come fall of 1893, he's called into Attorney George Chamberlain's office and he's confronted by like two dozen creditors and a detective. And he pleads and pleads and pleads and tries to turn on the charm because he's a very charming young man. And for whatever reason, he's told to wait in the hallway while the creditors talk together on what to do with him, whether to press charges or blah, 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 blah. So hang on, wait, why are they pressing charges against him? Is this just about the fire? When he was building the murder castle, because he was getting so many people in, builders and stuff like that, Mm. he was saying that they had voided their contract and that they had done something wrong. So he was getting all of this stuff done for free. Oh, right. Okay. So I didn't realize that he hadn't paid anyone. Yeah. And I think he was getting materials from different places, but he wasn't exactly paying up on those. And he was using credit to buy certain things and then not paying up on that. And even aside from the murder, he's just an all round douchebag. Right, yeah. Okay. So he's waiting out in the hallway while, you know, these people are deciding what to do with him. But, I mean, at this point he's murdered people and Mm. he's committed a lot of fraud at very minimum. At at the bare minimum. (laughs) So what does he do? He flees because he's just standing out in the hallway. So he's like, all right, catch us. Oh, I I thought you meant he, like, just fled afterwards. So he just, like, moved. But no, you mean that he actually was in the hallway and he just ran away. Yeah, he was apparently in this hallway <laughs> while people in the office were talking about what to do with this guy. And he was just like, well. Oh, dear. So clearly a very brave man. Because of this, you know, he decides it's it's probably time to leave Chicago. And he leaves Chicago and heads to Texas to the property that Minnie Williams had signed over with the idea of building a new murder castle. <laughs> okay. Hang on, wait. I just realized I have not asked you, where are these bodies? Oh, that is a great question. And we will get to that. I promise. Okay. Because I was just like, okay, so he has, you know, at least what what is it like three or four women that he's, you know, uh, murdered at this point. So where are they? I'm so excited to tell you about that bit. Well, not not because it's exciting, but it's, it's, it's a lot. Okay. So he's now in Texas. Yep. He's now in Texas and he's thinking of opening a new murder castle. He's building a new murder castle. So of course he needs a new wife. Of course. I shouldn't laugh, but it's just ridiculous. (laughs) So he starts over with a new bride, Georgiana Yoke, and he marries her on January 17th, 1894, but he's still married to Clara (laughs) Murder. He's not bothered to divorce anyone. He's just adding new ones to the the harem, I guess. Um, (laughs) Why a divorce when I could just start fresh? Yeah. Um, So I have to ask, because I don't know what he looks like or anything. Was he like a looker? Was was he hot? Because how is he getting all these women? Allow me to show you what he looks okay. like. I need to know. I mean, he's not my type, <laughs> but I'm also not in the 1800s. Okay, that's fair. I mean, that is an impressive moustache. 
It is. It's a just look. It's there. I'm looking at him, and he's not the worst, worst looking person I've ever seen in my life. No, I can probably see how he was attractive to these women. Right, like he's not a bad looking fellow. He's no, not at all. Dressed quite well. He's intelligent. He's been through university. He's, he's a, a doctor. doctor. Yeah. He doesn't appeal to me so much, but I can I can look at him and say he's not an unattractive man. Yeah. I can see how he got the ladies. That moustache, I just can't get past it. It is impressive. And the fact that he's wearing a bowler hat in this photo is just icing on top. I mean, he really does look like he's from that late 1800s. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So keep that mental image of him in your mind. In July of 1894, Holmes was incarcerated on charges of fraud, but he was quickly bailed out. While he was in jail, he met an outlaw named Marion Hedgepeth, and he was serving 25 years for robbery. Holmes comes up with a plan to fake his own death and swindle $10,000 in life insurance money. Holmes promises $500 to Hedgepeth in exchange for info of a lawyer who could help with the plan, and a young lawyer named Jephthah Howe is contacted and finds Holmes' plan absolutely brilliant. However, the whole plan failed after the insurance company became suspicious of the claim and refused to pay up, so rather than try to push for this claim, he concocts a new plan. I was going to say, he doesn't need a sidekick. He's bad enough on his own. I am going to do a quick rewind. So back in Chicago, Holmes met a carpenter and inventor, Benjamin Peitzel. Peitzel has a criminal past and they become good friends. He uses Peitzel as his right-hand man and a district attorney later describes Peitzel as Holmes's tool, his creature. What? Yeah. So apparently this Peitzel guy was just Holmes's right-hand man. It was Holmes's tool to get whatever done. And Peitzel, his wife and five children moved with Holmes to Texas. And similar to the plan that Holmes had made to fake his own death and take the insurance money, he concocts a plan with Peitzel's agreement and Holmes takes out a life insurance policy on Peitzel. The new plan... (laughs) (laughs) So I'm guessing the new plan is to kill him. (laughs) Well, the new plan was to take place in Philadelphia. Peitzel would set himself up as an inventor named B.F. Perry and unfortunately be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. So hang on, wait, that was a plan? Yeah. And then Holmes was to find a cadaver to pose as Peitzel. So then they could at least present a body to the insurance company and be like, here you go, he's dead. Ta-da! Again, I just think this would not fly today. It'd get found out so fucking quickly. <laughs> right, it, it does seem a little bit comical now that I'm reading it, but I'm sure, <laughs> like, I shouldn't, but I do. But like, could you imagine these days just presenting some other random person? As, as, as the body of the person, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Look at this body I found. <laughs> Look, I just found this, um, and I'm pretty sure it's this person. So you, you should just take my word for it. It's, de- it's definitely that person. So you've got a body, money, please. Money, please. Hands out, just like, ta, <laughs> tell me. <Yeah. laughs> Perhaps Holmes got a little bit too murder happy, though, because it turns out that rather than going to all the work to find a cadaver that was similar in body stature as Peitzel, Holmes just knocks Peitzel out with chloroform and sets his body on fire. Okay, rude. That is not the plan. Later in Holmes' confession, he did imply that Peitzel was still alive after he used the chloroform before he set him on fire. Oh, no. That's even worse. How that makes it better. It doesn't. It makes it worse. I just imagined him to be like, no, 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 he was totally alive before I set him on fire. Like, that's somehow like, look, it doesn't matter because, like, I didn't actually kill him. The fire did. Exactly. Like, I should be able to wipe my hands clean, you know? But evidence at the trial did show that chloroform was actually used after Peitzel had died. So I think what he was trying to do in a roundabout way was show that it was less of 
him murdering him and Peitzel kind of trying to commit suicide. Dear but he really Lord. just royally fucked it up. <laughs> oh my god. This is like it just gets more ridiculous the more you say. Well <laughs> So Peitzel is dead, right? And uh what do you think Holmes did? He uh marched off to the insurance company and was like Of course he did. Money me please <laughs> <laughs> Remember that body? Money please. Ta <laughs> So he actually does collect the payout. Jesus, are you kidding me? <laughs> I told you you were going to need a stiff drink. Jesus. According to Holmes, though, Peitzel has to go into hiding and he tells Peitzel's wife and children this. Remember, they all move together. Oh, yeah, that's right. Holmes is being incredibly charming and manipulative. He convinces Mrs. Peitzel to allow three of the five children to be in Holmes's custody. Hang on, wait. Why did the insurance money go to his wife? I don't know. Why would they just give it to some random dude who turns up and goes, yeah, found a body, money please. Why wouldn't it have gone to his wife? I wonder if he kind of fudged the insurance papers and was just like named himself as a beneficiary. Mm, maybe. He convinces Mrs. Peitzel to allow three of the five children to be in Holmes' custody. I mean, I guess five children is a lot. It is, especially for now single mother, but she doesn't know that. According to Holmes, he's just had to go into hiding. Holmes and the three kids, Alice, Nellie and Howard, travel through the northern United States and into Canada, and he's telling the kids that they're going to visit their father. That's what he's telling these kids, and that's why they're like, okay, well, yeah, we'll go with you. At the same time, though, he's taking Mrs. Peitzel on a parallel route, but he's lying to her and using different aliases to corroborate his story, and especially when it comes to the whereabouts of her husband, he claimed to her that her husband was actually hiding in London. It almost becomes like this cat and mouse situation because Holmes was lying to poor Mrs. Peitzel about the true location of her children. And apparently in Detroit, just before they entered Canada, they were only separated by a couple of blocks. He's lying to the children, saying that they're on a trip to meet up with their father and lying to Mrs. Peitzel about the whereabouts of her husband and the three of her children. But that's not all. Oh my, there's more? Remember Georgiana Yoke, his third wife? Oh yeah, yeah. I'd kind of forgotten about her for a minute. Well, it turns out she's just hanging out, <laughs> being lied to about the whole situation. I mean, is this any different to what he's done with his other wives? Problem is, though, she's going with him. Like, she's on this journey with him. Oh, so he didn't leave her behind this time. No, she's not being left behind. And I don't fully know mm. how he's managed to travel all the way from Toronto, like, or to Toronto, rather, without Georgiana expecting something weird going on. I mean, he's just suddenly got three kids. Apparently, she's absolutely none the wiser. Well, I mean, I guess he probably explained it that the same way he did to, um, to the mother saying that, you know, they had to go into hiding or whatever. Yeah, that's that could be very true. Once they were in Toronto, Holmes would murder Alice and Nellie, and he did this by forcing them into a trunk and locking them inside. He then drilled a hole into the trunk and attached a gas line and suffocated the girls. Oh my god, that's terrible. Holmes then buries the bodies in the cellar of his rental house in Toronto. Meanwhile, Detective Frank Geyer has been assigned to investigate Holmes and the missing children, and eventually he follows Holmes' journey and discovers the bodies of Alice and Nellie buried in the cellar in Toronto. After murdering Alice and Nellie, Holmes heads to Indianapolis with the third Peitzel child, Howard, and he rents a small cottage. Holmes then visits the local pharmacy, purchases drugs to kill the boy and ends up dismembering Howard's body and tries to burn the remains. The teeth and fragments of bones belonging to Howard are found in the cottage's fireplace. Uh, in the fireplace? Like inside? Yeah. How did he explain to the remaining child what had happened to his sisters? That's what I wondered and I couldn't find exactly what that was. 
surely poor Howard, that was his name, wasn't it? Yeah. Would have been like, so where are my sisters? Where are they at? Right. Knowing Holmes at this point, he probably just said to like the child, like, hey, I've sent them off to your mum or whatever. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to know what he actually did say. So Holmes is finally tracked down and is arrested on November 17th in 1894, where he's tried for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel and sentenced to death. By that point, it was pretty evident that he had murdered the Peitzel children. So his trial was only the father yeah right okay so he was sentenced to death but i think towards the end of the trial if not after he'd already been sentenced they kind of found out and they were like yeah well he definitely did this as well while holmes was in prison he authored an autobiography titled holmes own story which had the quote i could not help the fact that i was a murderer no more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing Ew, I hate him. Also, during his incarceration awaiting his hanging, Holmes confesses to 27 murders and six attempted murders. 27? Yeah, however, some of the people that he had claimed to have murdered were still alive. Oh, so he was just like adding on to the numbers to make himself look like a real like cool guy in his mind? Yeah, exactly. It's like ew. the whole sh- like, you know, slapping a big dick around. <laughs> Ugh, ew. I bet it was small. I bet it was tiny. That's why he did this. During his incarceration, Holmes gave different accounts of his life, and in some accounts he claimed that he was innocent, and some accounts he claimed that he was possessed by Satan. Jesus. Yeah, I think because he was giving so many different accounts to so many different people, and because it happened so long ago, mm-hmm. it makes it so hard to pin down what the truth was. When I was doing my research into this, there were so many indiscrepancies, and maybe they did this, or maybe he did this. or There's a lot of different accounts of his life out there. Do you think that was deliberate by him? Like he's like, I'm going to feed them a bunch of different stories so they can be confused and never really know the truth about me or what I did. Yeah, I think that definitely plays a part of it. And I mean, I suppose he was also very used to just being able to spin whatever lie he wanted to. Like he spun certain lies to Clara and to murder and then to Georgiana and whoever else was around him at the time that it was just like, well, It was kind of second nature to him at that point. I mean, yeah, I I can definitely see that. But I do have to wonder if it was like a deliberate malicious thing that he did. I think so. I think when he started to claim that he was possessed by Satan, that was definitely an attempt to be like, oh, well, look, I'm insane. So, you know, you can't sentence me to death. Well, I mean, they still can. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Here's where it gets, I don't know. I felt a little bit justified in this, but maybe... You won't. Okay. Now so Holmes, <laughs> Holmes was hanged in prison in Philadelphia in 1896, but during the hanging, apparently his neck didn't snap. Oh, so he was there for a while? Instead, he was slowly and painfully strangled to death. Yeah, I feel okay um, with that outcome. Apparently, his body was switching for over 15 minutes before being pronounced dead 20 minutes after the trap had been sprung. See that I would have thought it would have taken much longer to suffocate. I don't know. I feel like 15 minutes is a long time. I mean, not that I have any experience, but <laughs> I would have thought it would have taken a bit longer. But I guess it is your entire body weight. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, you know, maybe that was just the world's way of being like, you know what? Fuck you, Herman. You're a shit cunt. I mean, it, like I said, I'm completely, completely okay with that outcome. I feel like it's, yeah, justified. Yeah. Especially since I think that there was probably more than anyone knew about. Mm -hmm. So who knows what he had done. Exactly. It was just a bit of karma. Yeah, I'm okay with that. (laughs) 
Holmes requested to be buried with 10 feet of concrete poured on top of him so grave robbers couldn't take his body for dissection, which I think is like, well, you dissected all these people. Yeah, why give you what you want? Exactly. But he was buried in an unmarked grave in Holy Cross Cemetery outside Pennsylvania City. So I'm going to go back to the investigation of this building known as the murder castle, which is why I told you to 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 hold on to that. Yeah. So the investigation uncovers a vat of acid with eight ribs in it, charred high heel shoes, various bones and a kiln. The torture chambers and passages were still intact. Skeletons were in the basement, human hair, dried blood on discarded clothing and a dissection table. So there's not a plethora of information on the murder castle considering how notorious the story was and i think this is because the murder castle actually was gutted by fire after holmes was behind bars however what is known is that there were an abundance of room built for the purpose of murder so it was a maze designed to disorientate and confuse victims some doors would open to a solid wall while some doors would only open from the outside there were hallways that were built at odd angles stairs that would lead to nowhere there are also flamethrowers embedded into the walls seems a little bit excessive right yeah that's overkill i mean i guess pardon the pun but (laughs) what the fuck There were rooms which had vats of acid. There were rooms for hanging, rooms for suffocation, rooms where he would just put a person in and leave them to starve. And, you know, one with a stretching rack, randomly. The rooms had false walls, hidden passages, and walls with hinges, which Holmes used to view the murders and go in and out as he pleased. There were places where rooms should have been, but had been walled shut. There were tiny rooms, so small that You couldn't even, like, lay down in those rooms. There was a vault which was hooked up to a gas line. It had steel walls and was soundproof and airtight, so it was essentially a gas chamber. The whole building was rigged with traps and switches that gave Holmes the ability to turn on or off the electricity in certain parts of the building, turn up heat in certain areas, and even remotely turn on the gas to the gas chambers. And the building was outfitted with small traps that would notify Holmes if someone was entering certain parts of the building. The building had trap doors and chutes that would allow Holmes to drop the bodies into the basement. So once the bodies were in the basement, Holmes would use a variety of methods to dispose of them. Like some he burnt to ash, some buried in pits of quicklime, while others were just dissected and their organs and skeletons were sold to medical oh schools God, and okay. institutions. That's how he got rid of the bodies. Okay, so there were no like real bodies to, to find, essentially. Exactly. So because he admit, like, even though he had admitted to 27 murders, but, you know, we'd mentioned that some of the people he claimed to have killed were still alive. And because the murder castle was gutted by fire and there was just so much, like so many rooms inside the murder castle, there's no real way to tell how many people were murdered within the murder castle or by Holmes's hand. Considering how well planned out it was and how like how much was designed for the purpose of either torturing or murdering people i'd be inclined to believe it's more than 27 right you, you don't you don't build an entire floor of a building just to kill like one or two people do you know what i mean exactly what i am going to show you though is a it's kind of like a newspaper clipping okay. which has a bit of the layout from like a blueprint oh <laughs> this should be interesting So you can kind of see that, like, the layout inside is just a plethora of rooms. Like, there's one room called the five-door room, and 
there were literally just five doors in that room and other rooms that were just completely sealed shut. There were dark rooms and just, it was insane. It also seems to me like sort of one half of the floor, like there are normal rooms on either side. Yeah, and I think this is because it's, you could kind of see like street view Mm. almost. Okay, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if they were like, It'd be horrifying to think if anyone actually occupied those rooms at any point and then, like, you know, down the hall there was awful murder happening. Exactly. I mean, the whole place was completely soundproofed. So, Jesus, I mean, there could have been a murder going on in the room next door and you wouldn't have known about it. Yeah. Yeah. See, to me, and that also looked really big. Mm. So to me, I'm like, yeah, you're not doing that for just a couple of people. You're definitely doing that because you're doing it often. Yeah, exactly. And so he would have definitely done it before then as well, because why on earth would you make an entire floor of a building for this purpose if you hadn't murdered someone before? Right. I mean, every room had a purpose and a certain way of killing people. So it seems very silly to have a whole building with a plethora of rooms that can kill people in different ways yeah. for it to just kind of sit there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. I actually – I'm pretty confident in my feeling that it was definitely more than 27. Mm. Well, there are notes that he could have killed up to 200. Um, it's not confirmed, and some people say that that's just a wild figure that was sensationalized and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it kind of sounds like there it could is be a, accurate to me. Yeah, there's a very high chance that – it was more than 27. Yeah, I, I definitely feel pretty confident in saying that I feel like it would have been more than 27 people just because of the amount of effort that he went to to be able to carry out the crimes that he did. Yes, exactly. no way you're doing that for just a few. Right. Like you're a career murderer if you're, if you're going to like the effort of making a building to be able to do it in. Exactly. Like you're pretty committed if you're going to go through the whole building process. Yeah, exactly. You had no way. Exactly. There was a conspiracy that Holmes bribed the authorities and escaped the gallows in 1896 and fled to England, uh, where he became the infamous Jack the Ripper, which mm. to me doesn't really make sense since Jack the Ripper was active um, between August and September, I think, of 1888. For me, that timeline doesn't match up. I also didn't look that much into this conspiracy. Maybe it's something that we can look into later down the track. Okay. But um, apparently Holmes's great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett, believed that he may have been Jack the Ripper. So he petitioned to have his remains exhumed for DNA testing. Um, Apparently there's a whole series on the History Channel called American Ripper, which dove into the whole conspiracy and tries to find evidence and blah, blah, blah. But also I just want to add a side note um, of Jeff Mudgett. He apparently firmly believed that Holmes was like Jack the Ripper. And when I was doing a little bit of research into that part, like just to confirm, apparently, and I don't know how he got to this, but somehow through years of marriage, Jeff believes that he's also related to Meghan Markle. What? So I did kind of roll my eyes when I found that <laughs> out and just kind of didn't dive too deep into the whole conspiracy of it. So it might be just that he's possibly like a sandwich short of a picnic rather than... Yeah, a few crayons <laughs> short of a, of a box. Rather than, you know, he was like his relative was actually Jack the River. <laughs> right. But, okay, so biological anthropologists from Penn Museum exhumed the grave in... 2017 and they dug eight feet down and they found a well-preserved pine box which you would assume was the casket of Holmes. yeah but it was empty <gasps> it only contained a few scrap pieces 
of scrap wood. What the fuck? So they did dig a little a little further and found a wooden lid, and on top of the wood was etched H.H. H. Holmes and Herman W. Mudgett. And that was the real coffin. It, it wasn't a, it was a concrete container. So the team chipped away at the concrete and finally found Holmes' decomposed body. And this is why I wanted you to remember the visual of H.H. H. Holmes. Okay. So they found his decomposed body. He was wearing a waistcoat, leather boots, and a bowler hat. Seemed to really love that according, bowler hat. <laughs> <laughs> right? According to one of the team members, Samantha Cox, he apparently still had his mustache. Oh, there's, there's, there's some kind of like poetic thing in there. Right. <laughs> On his chest was a metal cross engraved with H.H. H. Holmes died May 7th, 1896. I did read that Holmes' brain was still inside the skull and it was still intact, and I thought that was kind of creepy and weird. Do they last that long? Well, apparently it's quite common with ancient burials. Since they're encased in the skull, it's kind of protected, and I assumed that also because he was encased within concrete. Yeah, nothing's getting in. Nothing's eating him, Yeah, essentially. Exactly. That added another layer to preserving the brain. Interesting. And I read this article which retold the whole excavation process and apparently during the dig it started to rain and this is the quote from the article. During the dig rain started to fall and a section of the trench wall dropped onto Holmes's skull, (gasps) the key piece for their forensic work as if the heavens decided to spit in his face. Jeez, okay. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) Right? Uh, So samples were sent off to DNA um, testing and confirmed that the remains belonged to a relative of Jeff Mudgett. So it's pretty much saying that the body that was in there is 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 H H Holmes. You know, there's no. I was gonna say. I feel like Rudy knew that though. Right. (laughs) Apparently, Jeff not so convinced. Yeah, I kind of feel like that was a lot of effort just to prove what you already knew. Right. Apparently, there's a lot of people that believe in that conspiracy, though, that he was Jack the Ripper. Well, I feel like that disproves that theory, though, because he was exactly where he was meant to be. Exactly. So how could he have been Jack the Ripper? I don't know. If he was in a coffin in concrete. Mm, I wonder if it's like it was such a big conspiracy theory for so long that it kind of built to this whole 2017, let's exhume the body and make sure that he's there where he's supposed to be. Well, I mean, it does stop the theory, doesn't it? Exactly. It kind of is like, well, guys, time to move on. We've now actually proved that that's not the case. Exactly. I don't know what Jeff's on, like, <laughs> with the whole Meghan Markle thing. and he, he clearly just, like, wants some grand story about himself. Do you know what I mean? He wants something. Right. It's kind of that little claim to fame action. So I feel like maybe he's just, like, saying as many things as possible, hoping that one of them sticks. Right. All the buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will close the whole investigation with a side note and it is kind of fun i don't know if you'll find it fun i find it fun but there is a vr game (laughs) that's currently in development called the horror of hh holmes it's a maze game where you search for clues of Holmes' crime while trying to evade being killed by him. There's no current release date, but the Facebook page of the game has a fly-throughs of the map, and I did have a look at it, and it's incredibly creepy looking, incredibly detailed, but also very, very interesting. So I really do want to play that. Probably, I'm probably a little bit too scared to play it in VR, but... (laughs) I was going to say, I definitely couldn't do that in VR. I think I'd just wee myself, basically. Um... There's like um, bodies and stuff and I looked at some of the screenshots and the fly-throughs and it is very, very well detailed. Yeah. I don't think I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, for reference, I'm a big scaredy pants. Like I just, I can't, I can't deal with that kind of stuff. (laughs) I think with games, it's so easy to get so involved in it and wrapped up in that world Mm. that it's so much scarier. Well, I mean, I nearly cried when we played Phasmophobia, so I don't think that I could really do anything else. And I mean, that's not even like super realistic. I refuse to get out of the van. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> but I do think it's cool that, like, someone's making something like that. Yeah, I mean, someone has to man the van, for one. <laughs> someone has to do the job, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be that person. I'll just not go in the building. Right. So apparently, like, the VR game was set to come out in 2019 um, because apparently there's also a, a film coming out oh, starring okay. Leonardo DiCaprio oh, um, okay. about... H.H. Holmes, but I don't know. I couldn't find any confirmed release dates of anything, so I have no idea. I guess we are in a pandemic. That is very true. But that is the very spooky story of H.H. Holmes, the murder castle, the beast of Chicago. The beast of Chicago. I kind of like that. Yeah, right? He's a bit of an asshole. I mean, (laughs) definitely. I mean, I I feel like that's very easy to say that he was definitely an asshole. Mm. It's kind of hard to think about it in our, like, modern brains that someone could be so brazen and just get away with it for so long it's all it's so hard to wrap your brain around the fact that all it took was to just go to a different town or city and be like by the way my name is now judy and you were now judy <laughs> let alone you know murdering all these people or scamming all these people and it's just like okay well don't know where he went <laughs> i mean <laughs> the thing is like my my grandfather just changed his name when he was like a teenager. So if you think about right. that, that wasn't really that long ago. Right. Um, you know, yeah. That's like what, 50, 60 years ago and you were still able to just do that. And that was because like their driver's license were paper. Mm. They could just change whatever the fuck you wanted. Well, that's <laughs> it. I mean, everything was kind of like paper back then. And I, I don't know how easy it was to like transfer information from town to yeah, town, let alone state to state. So, so I mean, yeah, I imagine there was not like a lot of communication um, between states and that kind of thing. So no one was putting together what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. It's just crazy. I mean, to be honest, though, that sort of thing happens now. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. I, I think it's changing that, like, like you know, police departments are working together from different states. But I think it's, like, not the norm, if that mm. makes sense. Like, I don't think that's been the norm previously. Yeah. Everyone just does their own thing where they are. And then eventually, if something, like, keeps happening, they might connect the dots eventually. Yeah, absolutely. So imagine that in the 1800s. <laughs> What a wild time. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I personally just can't comprehend it. It doesn't make sense in my little, you know, 2020 brain. <laughs> I think with HHM, like when I was doing the investigation, I kind of started and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is a very simple story. It's going to be really, really easy to kind of research and look into. Um, and then I started diving a little bit deeper and I was just like, wait, how did he do this? Yeah. <laughs> and how did he lie? And keep track of it and do this and this and this. And no one was like, uh, you're a bit sus. I mean, that's the other thing. It seems like he never had any issues with keeping his lies straight. So he must have been like a smart man. Right, exactly. Which, honestly, the worst kind of murderer is a smart one, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the fact that he was highly intelligent. Yeah, it really, really went to show. 
I just think it was kind of comical how much he wanted insurance scams to work throughout his whole life. He was just like, I'm just going to scam all these insurance companies. Uh, give me money. I mean, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's not like he ever really did anything by the book, really. He was just always after insurance money and then ripping people off to get his like murder castle built. That's it. Imagine having a murder castle. Right. Imagine being that good I mean, at it that you can have your own castle where you can just murder people in it. Yeah, I just... Gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about Plus, it. Plus, he was set up there for a, a while. Do people not notice that, like, people would go in there and then never come back out? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Were people just, like, too busy doing their own thing? I mean, I guess it was, like, Chicago, so it's a major city, which it obviously wouldn't have been as populated as it is now, but I'm still assuming mm. that there are a lot of people running around, so maybe it did just go unnoticed. Yeah, I think as well, because it had just there were so many shops on the first floor that people were so focused on going in and out of the stores um, that, and because it looked so unassuming, Mm. I was just like, well, I'm just going to pop down to the the drugstore and maybe go next door to the the jewellery shop while I'm there and head on home. I I definitely think it's worth having a look at what the building looks like because it is so unassuming. It wouldn't be out of place today even. Yeah, right. It literally just looks like a building where you're walking down the street and just walking past these shops yeah that have apartments on top like it's very unassuming yeah very i guess it makes sense that it would be but when you say murder castle that's not what you picture <laughs> right i kind of pictured like storm clouds yeah. <laughs> a moat like, hanging yeah, around like the front oils <laughs> hanging off it like do you know what i mean <laughs> exactly yeah that's what i'm imagining but, which i think makes it even more scary the fact that this was just out in the open, in the middle of Chicago, killing yeah, people, people. People walking past, going in there every day, being none the wiser as to what's going on upstairs. Right. Like, I mean, you could literally just be in the candy store downstairs and right above you, mm. someone's being like gassed or stretched or whatever. Insane. My, my mind, it's not, it's, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. It's just, it's so wild and out there. Like, how could that be real? Yeah. It's, I think it's easy to like laugh and make the jokes like we did today. I mean, plus I'm drinking, so <laughs> like that helps. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's it's so it was so long ago, but it was so kind of also outlandish that it yeah. makes it comical and weird and funny. Well, I mean, yeah, like I I don't want people to think that I'm laughing out of like disrespect or anything. It's just more that it sounds so like such a crazy story that like it sounds like it's fiction, like it's ridiculous, right? It- it sounds like a story that you would hear, it like you would see in a movie. Yeah, like not something that happened in real life. Exactly. So, I mean, that's why I was laughing a lot because I'm just like, how? How is this even happening? How is this real? Right. Yeah, I think it's part and parcel to uh, try and laugh at these things. Otherwise, like, yeah. it's just so traumatically sad and scary at the same time. Yeah, and I also do think it's, like, pretty normal to laugh when you're uncomfortable. Exactly. And that's what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. We're we're here to try and make this less uncomfortable. <laughs> if that exactly. makes sense. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that was super interesting. I'd never heard about any of that before. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> did it spook you a little bit? It did spook me a little bit. I am sitting in a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting I'm sitting in a dark room with like the the blinds down and no lights on so <laughs> same actually I, you know I tried to get the vibe so that I would get a bit spooked <laughs> <laughs> 
But I think I'm, <sighs> I'm at this point where I've listened or, or watched so much true crime stuff that true crime things don't spook me as much anymore, which is really sad to say. Yeah. I think we're, we're pretty much pretty much done. Yay. How, how, how do you feel? That's the first episode done. I feel good. You feel good? I think yeah. that's a good episode. Should we do the outro? We probably should, yeah. That was the mysterious and macabre story of H.H. H. Holmes, The Murder Castle, The Beast of Chicago. If you would like to see any of the photos that I had mentioned in this episode, you can go to our website, which is thedevilsmargaritapodcast.com, or you could send us an email, devilsmargaritapod at gmail.com, and check us out on all of our socials, which is at Devil's Margarita on Instagram and Twitter. I think that was an outro. Yay! I think you did it. <laughs> I did it! Oh, I need another stiff drink. <laughs> yeah, I really hope that I don't. I'm, I'm kind of afraid that I'm going to go to bed tonight and then just lie awake and think about this. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, bye. Okay, bye!